0: Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us.
1: Happy New Year you guys for coming out to worship today. Uh, boy, what, that, that song, it really, really gets at it. Our, our new year, we have new hopes. We have all kinds of plans. We have all kinds of hopes for what's going to happen this year. Um, maybe you have some plans in the works, some things you're dreaming of, some, some things you're hoping will happen, uh, relationships or, or business or what have you. But really that song gets at our, our purpose uh, as Christians is to glorify God, to serve Him and worship Him, and may He be glorified this year through this church, through your life. Would you please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark? We begin a new sermon series today from Mark's Gospel. Uh, I have never preached through this book before, so I've been looking forward to this for quite a while, and anytime you come to a new section of Scripture, it's... uh, It's uh, at the same time uh, intimidating, but at the same time exciting. And what is God going to say to us? How is God God going to speak to us through His Word uh, this year through the Gospel of Mark? But would you please look at chapter 1, verse 1. May God bless the study and the reading and the application of His Word to His glory. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him or being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing, The Spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. That song that was picked today about belief. It's uh, very appropriate, very uh, important for us to ask that question, do I believe these things? Do I, do I believe what is being spoken in the Word? Do I believe what is being taught by God through His prophets and through His apostles, through His teachings? We Christians, we proclaim salvation. We believe that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. We believe that people can be delivered from death we speak it, we proclaim it, we say it again and again, that people can be delivered from their guilt. They can be forgiven of their sins. We believe that people can receive a new life, that they can be born again, that they can live forever in heaven. We speak again in, in so many different ways, so many various metaphors, so many various pictures of what salvation is. We believe that. Salvation can be yours. We believe that salvation can belong to us. We can be saved. We're unapologetic about that. We are fearlessly supposed to speak it to the world. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ. He earned it. He achieved it. He accomplished it. The question as we open the Gospel of Mark, the question that the author, the inspired author, is eager to to answer in the beginning of his his work is, how did it come about? How how did this salvation uh, become available to us? How was it achieved? How was it accomplished? Uh, He starts his Gospel by Well, you can see it in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You'll find as we read through the gospel of Mark, as we study it, as we learn it, that he comes to the point quick. He's not one of these long-winded preachers who just keeps going and going and going. He gets to the point, he says what he wants to say He says it directly, and he expects us to respond. We notice right away he doesn't pull any punches about the identity of Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. We see immediately where his gospel is going. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, the gospel. What is that word? What does that entail? Uh, when, we, when we read that first sentence, he's not, saying, uh, he's not talking about his book. There's four gospels in the Bible. Uh, this is one of the four, and in each gospel is a selective history, a selective biography of Jesus' works, his teachings, his life. Uh, the gospel writers wrote these by the power of the Spirit, by God's anointing, to uh, call, call us to faith in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, the beginning of the gospel, he's not talking about his book when he says this first line. Uh, sometimes we, when, we, when we talk about uh, bringing people to salvation, we say, let's share the gospel. Uh, let's share the message that, that needs to be heard, the, the truths that are... Uh, available to us in the scriptures, the the truths that have been revealed by the apostles, preached by the apostles. He's not talking about the message of the gospel, the beginning of the good news concerning Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Good news, good tidings, that's the gospel he's talking about in verse 1. In ancient times in the Roman Empire, when a victory was won, when a battle was uh, successful, the pronouncement was, good news, good tidings, we defeated the whoever. Uh, Mark starts his gospel by saying, hey, this is the beginning of the story of salvation. This is the beginning of the story, the, the good news of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Listen to it. Hear it again. Remember how your salvation came. And so he says this is the beginning of what God has done through his appointed servant, his Christ, his Messiah, through the Son of God, the divine Messiah, as we've learned over our Christmas season. He of the nature of God has come to save. God's king. God's rescuer has come. So how did this come about? How how did it start? The salvation that Jesus has accomplished. The salvation that Jesus is accomplishing. The salvation that Jesus will accomplish when he makes a new world. When he brings the kingdom. How did it come about the beginning? So Mark here in the prologue is saying this is the start of it. Let me tell you how your salvation came about. Something to praise God for. Uh, He starts right away with the Isaiah, the prophet, quote, How did it come about? Well, it came about just as Isaiah said it would. Verse 2, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. That that Verse 2 is actually an amalgamation, a, 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 a blending of two Old Testament prophecies. Uh, one from Exodus 23.20, if you're taking notes, Exodus 23.20. In Exodus, uh, when God called Israel out of Egypt, he said, I will send my messenger before you. And what he was talking about was the angel. The angel, his, his, the, the angel of God would go before them in the wilderness. After they left Mount Sinai, the, the messenger of God, the servant of God would lead them. And then in Malachi chapter 3.1, if you just turn back, Uh, It's not too far. It's the the last book of the Old Testament, right before the Gospel of Matthew. Malachi 3.1, another messenger prophecy, uh, a word from God about the future. This one's more future-oriented. Behold, from Malachi's time, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, Who's speaking there? God is. Yahweh is, the Lord. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Who's that Lord? It's somebody different than Yahweh. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And uh, boy, uh, that, that, that passage right there, that, that, that verse right there, it's almost confusing, like the Lord's coming, but his messenger's going to go before him, but there's another personage there, there's another another being there somehow, but, but they seem to be the same, that person seems to be the same as the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, the God of the angel armies, the creator of all things, the master, the, the ruler of the universe, uh, Malachi says he's going to send his messenger before him, before he comes. And so... Uh, Mark is uh, he. He says it's uh, is written in the Isaiah the prophet, but verse two is is leading in to the summary statement that Isaiah makes. Verse three of Mark, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Uh, that's Mark's uh, uh, kind of kind of a little bit of an interpretation of. What Isaiah actually said—he's by the, by Spirit's guidance, by the by the providence, by the inspiration of the Spirit—he he changes it a little bit. Let me show you the original uh, in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter forty, Isaiah chapter forty, verse one, please. Isaiah chapter forty, verse one. Now, if you are not familiar with the Book of Isaiah, what has happened there? What's transpired in Isaiah? Uh, God's people have rebelled against him. God's people have rebelled, and in judgment, God came and sent them into exile. Remember they went into Babylon? Remember they they were sent far away from their home? Jerusalem was destroyed. It was a terrible time, a terrible season. But Isaiah's, especially the second half of Isaiah, the preaching starts happening through the prophet of of God saying, through Isaiah, I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to bring them back to myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create, as it were, a second exodus. I'm going to bring them out of bondage. I'm going to bring them out of darkness. I'm going to bring them to myself. And so Isaiah 40 starts off with that, that tone and that, that message, that motif. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So she's been judged uh, completely. Uh, God's done with that judgment. And so verse 3, a voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made, made low. And uneven ground shall become level, and rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so the, the messenger there, the, the, the person crying out, is telling the nation, telling the people of Israel, hey, get yourselves ready. And actually a command to even the creation. As it were, Yahweh is coming. The Lord of hosts is coming. Make His paths straight. And the imagery there, the, the, the picture there of, of mountains being leveled and valleys being filled in, so it's a straight highway for God. A straight path that nothing gets in His way. The Lord is coming, get ready. And so the application to Israel was was get yourself ready. Your God is coming. Are you ready to meet your God? Your God is arriving. He's going to save you. Are you ready to meet Him in His holiness and in His grace? Are you ready to come? In the, in the context of judgment and, and God sending them Babylon, He wants to bring them home. Are you ready to be a people of God again? Get ready. He's coming. So we go back to Mark. And Mark is saying, this is the beginning of the salvation concerning Jesus Christ. The story of salvation, the good news that Jesus has started to accomplish. And he's saying, it started to play out just like this. A messenger will come. A voice who will prepare whose way? Your way. So Mark is, is talking, as it were, to Jesus here. Behold, I will send your, my messenger before your, your face, who will prepare your way. It's a slight change from Yahweh to Jesus, but really, what is that saying? The Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a continuity. It's not a different testament, it's not a different story. It's it, the Old Testament saying Yahweh is coming, and now you're coming to Jesus. Jesus is Yahweh. <laughs> we, we get these inklings of the Trinity, the three persons in one. Jesus comes in the name of God because he is God. He's coming, is the prophecy according to Mark. The voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, who is the Lord, it's Jesus, make his paths straight. So it's a prophecy of salvation. Mark is quoting Isaiah by saying, Isaiah's prophecy of rescue It started to come true in Jesus Christ. Isaiah's prophecy, a promise of deliverance, of salvation for the world, especially the salvation of Israel, is starting to come true. It's started to happen through fulfillment of God's Word, of God's prophecy, through who? Verse 4. John appeared, baptizing the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem are going out to him, We' be baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. <clears throat> a summary statement of John's activity. You can read in the other Gospels more of an expanded version of John's ministry. But when Isaiah says, or, or Mark says through Isaiah that a messenger's coming, and immediately he mentions John, John the Baptist is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. John the Baptist is the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy, the Elijah to come. He's saying the beginning of salvation, it started here. It started in Israel. It started in the wilderness, which is another powerful, strong motif in the Gospel of Mark, a theme in the Gospel of Mark. What happens in the wilderness, in the desert? Well, the uninhabited regions of Israel is often where God met people. Often where God met his people. Remember when God pulled his son, remember Hosea 11.1, Out of Egypt I'll call my son. When God called his firstborn son, as it were, Israel, remember in Exodus chapter 4, it talked about Israel being his firstborn son. He told Pharaoh, let my son go. When God called Israel out of Egypt, where did He take them? He took them into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, He gave them His law. He gave them the covenant. He made, him, he made them His people. And, and so we see here, that there's, there's something happening here. There's, there's a continuity. John shows up in the wilderness. John the Baptist shows up in the wilderness, and he starts preaching, and he starts saying, Hey, to all you people in Israel, God's judgment is upon you again. You better repent. God is coming, and you're not ready to meet Him. He's saying, come out into the wilderness. Come out into the boonies, the uninhabited region. Come out from your comfortable lives. Come, and who, who, who primarily comes? The people of Judea and Jerusalem. Jerusalem are where the elites live. They're where the rich live. Jerusalem is where the powerful lives in Israel during this time. He's he's condemning them. He's saying, man, you're not fit to stand in God's presence. The the fire is coming. God's axe is about to strike at the base of the tree from another gospel. You need to repent. You need to get your life ready before it's too late. John comes out into the wilderness because in the wilderness, that's where God forms His people. Sometimes in the wilderness of this life, the troubles you go through, the, the terrible tragedies you go through, the hardships you go through, not seeing life come about as you desire, those are the times that God is forming you and shaping you and calling you to trust in Him. Well, John, he, he starts preaching and, and people start coming out to him. Why do they come out to him? Because they know of the prophecies. They know of God's promise of a future salvation for Israel. Remember, during the the first century, Israel, as it were, is still in exile. Even though they've been brought back from Babylon, even though they've been brought back from exile, they're still, as it were, in exile because Rome is still ruling them. They're not sovereign. they're, They're not in control of their destiny. They're not in control of their life. And so they're still far from God, as it were. And so John says, hey, come out to the wilderness. Repent. Meet with your God again. Maybe He'll form you into a new people. Maybe He'll create for Himself a people of God again as of old. Maybe if you get right with God, Israel, God will use you again for His glory and for His purposes. And so they go out, and what's really unique about what's happening there is this was never done before. A baptism in the Jordan River the, the uninhabited region, the, if, you, if you can imagine a map of Israel, the, the, the Jordan River runs kind of down the, the, the middle of it. There's the Sea of Galilee. The Dead Sea is way down in the south. Uh, Jerusalem's to the west a little bit here. And, and, and the, the Dead Sea is, is down there. So the, from Jericho down to the Dead Sea, it's nobody lives there. It's the boonies, right? And, and, so, and so John the Baptist is down there and he... He's preaching and he's starting to baptize. And what's the symbolism of baptism? Baptism means to plunge, to dip, to immerse. It means to identify with something. And and so when he's preaching, you need to confess your sins. You need to get right with God before it's too late. Uh, When they do confess their sins, he he puts them in the water. and And he lifts them up. A symbol, an outward sign of what he hopes is taking place on the inside. That they have repented authentically and they're ready to serve God now. Uh, baptism, uh, the the Jewish people were, were used to um, rituals, ritualistic baths where they 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 put themselves down in the water as a sign of cleansing before they went into the temple. Sometimes uh, Jewish converts they would be baptized, but again and oftentimes it would be a, a self. Uh, a dipping or a self plunging into the water as a sign of their of their relation their new relationship with the Jewish God. Um, so, the, the, but this is new where where somebody John baptizes them in the location in the wilderness. It's so symbolic and it's so 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 much about relationship with God. Get back to your covenant with God, your covenant of old before it's too late. Get back to your your joy with God, your walk with God, your love of God, your heart with God, your passion for God, your, your, your zeal for God. See, he, he's calling out Israel at this time in the first century, and, and he's saying, man, judgment is coming, you better, better get ready. And, and we, we historically saw that judgment fall in 66 to 70 AD, when the nation did not authentically repent. And the Romans crushed and destroyed Israel he warned them, he, he called them to repent, he called them to turn, but they didn't. Because you, you, you start reading through these gospels, and all, all the gospels, they start with, man, people repenting and going out and being baptized and, and celebrating you know, what John has done. And and but then you start getting, you start reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and as you get into it, it doesn't seem like anybody's repented. When their Messiah comes, when Jesus comes, they do not receive him. They do not welcome Him. They do not love Him. They do not obey Him. They do not follow Him. And so it seems that John's baptism, in some ways, was a hollow gesture on their part. He came out looking like a prophet. Verse 6, it refers to Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament. He dressed that way. He ate the food of the wilderness. That wilderness theme is strong. And his message, verse seven. Uh, how did how did salvation come? The salvation that we enjoy, that we will enjoy one day. How, how did it come about? It came through, not the messenger, but through Jesus. John the Baptist preached, verse seven, saying, "After me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and tie." Uh, one of the commentators I was reading this week, he said that uh, the Jewish people sometimes had Hebrew slaves. Uh, Indentured servants, you know, someone was starving to death, so they'd sell themselves into a Hebrew family so they could have food. And one of the stipulations was, uh, you're supposed to serve your master, but a Hebrew slave uh, didn't have to deal with uh, unlatching his master's sandals. It it was way too low for a a fellow Hebrew to... Deal with that, even though they were a slave. And so John is saying, "Man, the Hebrews—they're too good to un- un- unleash their un- unlatch their master sandals." But I'm so much lower than that. The one is coming, is so much greater than me. You think I'm a prophet of God, and, and you know he probably would have said, "I am." You think that God is using me mightily, but the one is coming is so much greater and so much more mightier that I. I I couldn't even touch his sandals. I'm so much lower than that. So he's preaching about the coming one and his greatness. He's proclaiming who this is going to be. Uh, In verse 8 is is really important. It says, I have baptized you with water. Okay, it's a symbolic act that's supposed to show submission, uh, an immersion into new life. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's this baptism I'm doing, but there's this supernatural baptism. This this baptism into the Holy Spirit, you're going to be plunged into God. You're going to be plunged into new life. He's going to plunge you into something that that you could not do yourself. You're going to be in relationship with God. And and we see so many references in the Scriptures about baptism. And and Paul talks about when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit or or of the Holy Spirit, we're brought into the church in, in 1 Corinthians 12. The baptism is is this thing that we're incorporated into the life of God, incorporated into His church when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. This one's going to be able to do that. So we learn here that with the coming of John is the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. How did the salvation that we put our hope in how did this new life that's promised to us, how, how did it come about? How, how did it start? How, how did it come to be part of our world? Uh, God promised it. God planned for it. Uh, looking back, so, so in, a, in a way, Mark is saying, how did it come about? The beginning of, of this story of Jesus, this, this story of salvation? Well, God planned for it. Way back in Isaiah's day, he said it's going to happen. And so the beginning of this story of salvation, God took the initiative. God God purposed it. God wrote it into His his story even before the days came to be. God has decreed, God has decided that He is going to save people. And He made the way. He brought John the Baptist just as He said He would in fulfillment of prophecy. And so when we see John come on the scene, it's, it's like... Second Exodus has started, the, the second forming of the people of God, the new people of God has begun, just as Isaiah promised. A rescue, a salvation, a deliverance is at hand because of what God has planned, what God has purposed, what God has done. It's happening. Uh, if you look at verse 9, uh, we 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 start to get a little bit deeper into the gospel. Into the good news of what God has accomplished through Jesus. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth that's an important detail of Galilee he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just pause there a second. Uh, the, the first group of people that came out to John, they, they came from Judea and Jerusalem, the southern part of, of, of Israel. Again, the kind of the wealthier part, perhaps. Uh, The the most important people came from there. And as you keep reading through the Gospel of John, or Gospel of Mark, uh, they they kind of become Jesus' enemies. They kind of become, ultimately, the people that call for Jesus' crucifixion. And yet, here we have one in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth... Does anything good come from Nazareth? Said one of the future apostles. It was a despised place. It was a nowhere place. It was some, somewhere that was, you know, how you talk about certain towns. Oh, you come from there. Right? And so Jesus came from there. And he comes, and he's the only Galilean to come. He's the one that came from the boonies, the one that came from, far from the religious place, far from the important place. He comes, and, and, and he's the only one. And, and notice what, what he did, and we're, we're, we're asking the question, how did our salvation come about? How did God's salvation and rescue come about? The beginning of it is that Jesus traveled 60 miles from Nazareth to go into the wilderness. He left the hill country up there in Nazareth. He, you know, how long does it take to walk 60 miles? Uh, I, I don't know, it, there. Uh, maybe two or three days, four days, maybe. And, and, and he is the one that John said, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He has the power. Who baptized in the Old Testament, the, in the Holy Spirit? Who sent the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? God Almighty sent the Spirit in the Old Testament. The Spirit came upon people to accomplish tasks in God's workings to, to accomplish what God wanted to do. And so, and so John says, hey, this one's coming. He has the, the prerogatives of God. He has the power of God. He has the power to do what only God can do to, to bring the, the Holy Spirit into your life, to, to submerge, submerge you into the Spirit's power and life. And this one who comes from nowhere, the one who has this power, he submits himself to a lower baptism. And we're just stunned by that. I think the, the way that the text is set up, we're meant to, to take, oh, who is this? Why, why would he do this? If he's the one that is so great that John can't tie his sandals or, or latch his sandals that John couldn't even you know, lift up his face to. And this Jesus, he comes and he submits himself to a baptism of repentance. He, he comes into the wilderness, to the nowhere place. What's going on here? Uh, the, the text doesn't go too much farther. Again, John's, uh, Mark's, Mark's teaching is kind of short, and it's clipped, and it's to the point. He, he moves fast through this gospel. And so theologians for centuries have wrestled with this. How could a sinless one one who had never made any mistakes, how could, how could this Christ, the, the one who's the Messiah, God's King, who's uh, been appointed from eternity past to rule, the, the, the Son of God, who's the, of the nature of God, how could He put Himself in a position to be associated with sinners? What was He saying by taking on this baptism that was a, a, coming under the judgment of God as a matter of fact? You see, the, the bigger story is, as is, is John the Baptist preached, he was saying, you sinners, you wicked rebels, you people who say you're of God, you aren't acting like it, you need to repent, and so they'd come in repentance. And so this, this baptism of repentance, it's an acknowledgement of brokenness. It's an acknowledgement of not being the person that God wants you to be. And here is Jesus, he comes, and he goes before John, he says, uh, "Let it be." Uh, what's 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 happening? Jesus is choosing here to identify himself with sinners. Jesus is choosing here to identify himself with the nation of Israel. He's saying, "I'm one of them. I'm going to represent them. I I I need to do this." And if if you look over to Matthew's gospel, there, there's a little bit more explanation. Chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Right? That's, that, we know that that's John's heart, that he would never consider baptizing Jesus as, as a superior or anything like that. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is seeing himself in some kind of a mode, some kind of a, 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 a an act here. He, he's seeing himself as, as a servant here. He's coming to start a work that will complete itself at the cross. The people that are coming out, they the, the Israel that's coming out, they, they're not sincere. They're not following through as they should. They're they're not the people that you want. I will be the Son of God. Remember in the Old Testament, Israel was described as the Son of God, uh, the firstborn son. They failed in that. When they got to the wilderness, when they got to the wilderness, they failed. They, 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 they fell through. They broke the covenant again and again and again. Jesus comes here. He, he comes to start a work. He comes to start a mission. He comes to start a a process that will lead him to the cross where he will die as the faithful son, as the perfect son. And so we think that to fulfill all righteousness, he is putting himself out there as the true Israel. He's, in his own mind, he's putting himself out there as the son who will be victorious, who will succeed where Israel he will worship God. He will keep Yahweh's dictates. He will keep the covenant when no one else could or would. And so he submits himself in, in verse 10. We, we see the response from heaven. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And so uh, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah even, I think it's Isaiah 64, uh, there, There's I, Israel's calling out for salvation, calling out for deliverance. And they say, oh, Yahweh, would you rend the heavens and come down? Would you open up the heavens and come down? And so it's in fulfillment of that prayer, Jesus sees the heavens being torn open, as it were. What does that look like? In, in At the end of, of the gospel, remember what happens... When Jesus dies, the, the, the veil of the temple is torn, symbolizing access to God because of Jesus' victory. The, the veil between the holy place and the nation is torn open. You can, you can go to God now through Jesus Christ. And so the, 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 there's something starting here, where for, for 300 plus years, almost 400 years, no prophet has come. God's word has been silent. No one, God does not speak to us anymore. The people are saying, when is God going to come? And the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist, comes, and he's doing his thing, and Jesus comes, and he, he's baptized to fulfill a mission, and suddenly now the heavens are open, symbolizing now God has access to man. More importantly, man has access to God through this one who is submitting himself in righteousness. But beyond that, the, second person, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, descends on Jesus. Jesus is seeing this God is saying you are my servant you're the one I've chosen now I'm going to empower you I'm going to equip you to do do my will it's a beautiful moment of confirmation and, and, and equipment and saying affirmation from God that this Jesus you're on the right path you've chosen you've chosen to take this path you've submitted yourself to take this path to be my servant and now uh, I, 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 the, the statement, all, the Trinity's here. The Spirit comes upon Jesus, and, and the Father says, Oh, you are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And, and boy, the theology here is deep. If, you, if you'd write down several scriptures for me, if you look at Psalm 2, uh, we're not going to take the time to turn there today. We, we could spend a, a whole sermon on Psalm 2. But it's a prophecy of the anointed one that's going to take over the world, the king, uh, the son, who's, in, in Psalm 2:7 it says, "You are my son." Yahweh saying to his anointed king, "The fulfillment of Psalm 2:7 is found right here, where the prophecy found in, in Psalm 2 is being fulfilled in Jesus, "You are my beloved son. And then with you I am well pleased." This comes from Isaiah chapter 42 verse one, Isaiah chapter 42 verse one. The servant there's, there's four servant songs in, in Isaiah, and I, I, we can take a quick peek at Isaiah 42:1, because I, I do want you to see what's being said here. Uh, Isaiah 42:1: uh, "Behold my servant." Uh, Isaiah, as is, he starts preaching about Yahweh's rescue, about Yahweh's salvation, about Yahweh's deliverance of Israel. He starts speaking of, of Israel as his son, but he starts also speaking of Israel as a servant. But then suddenly we realize that he's not talking about Israel anymore. He's talking about a special person. In Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. And so Isaiah 42, 1, uh, when, when Mark has the Father saying, My beloved, and I am well pleased. It's a fulfillment of, of this. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly quick burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. The coastlands wait for his law. And what we see in Jesus' life, he's quietly going to the cross. He's submitted himself to be, he's, he's undergoing John's baptism as a sign of submission. He's saying, "I will be faithful. I'll, I'll go all the way. I'm going to. The Spirit is upon me now. I'm a, the beloved Son. And I'm going to do the work to the very end." Uh, and there's there's three other songs like that in, in Isaiah that, capping with Isaiah 53, where Jesus is uh, the fulfillment of the suffering servant, to achieve salvation. So we, we come back to Mark and we, we come back to this voice from heaven and the descent of the Spirit upon, upon Jesus. We, we don't know why uh, the Spirit looks like a dove. You know, that God, that's, was God's prerogative. Maybe a hovering like the Spirit hovering over, over creation in Genesis 1. You know, over the void, over the nothingness. Maybe the, the, you know, the, the dove was a symbol that, that has many connotations there in God's mind. But, but we see, how did the salvation that we enjoy come about? Mark is saying, here's the beginning of the good news, the glad tidings that the world needs. Here's the beginning of the good news that has been achieved, the victory won by Jesus Christ. Here's how it began. He came as a servant. He came to fulfill all righteousness. He came to fulfill a plan that God had ordained in eternity past he accomplished our salvation verse 12 uh, the spirit immediately if you read through the gospel of mark you'll see that word again and again and again dozens of times at once some of your translations say or immediately happens uh, again and again the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness that's kind of a strange thought isn't it uh uh, Isaiah's prophecy of God's salvation coming to the nation is coming through true because we know this because the messenger has come and the one that he made a way for has come. See, John, John the Baptist making a way, how did he do that? He called people to get right with God. He, he opened up the, the pathway, their obstinance, their sin, their ugliness. John says, get rid of that. Get ready for the Lord. So John the Baptist, his mission was fulfilled and Jesus came. Uh, The Lord came. Yahweh came and manifested in Jesus. Uh, And then then the Spirit sends him out to be tempted by the devil? What's going on here? He was in the wilderness 40 days. Again, that wilderness theme. Remember uh, Mount, uh, Mount Sinai? Moses went up the mountain for 40 days. Remember Elijah of old? He was in the wilderness for 40 days. Remember uh, Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember David and Goliath? Remember the armies uh, of Israel? They stood against Goliath and the Philistines for 40 days. These themes keep coming up. And where are these things taking place? They're taking place in the wilderness. And so so Jesus is tested and tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. And, And what's the point? When Israel went into the wilderness, when they left Mount Sinai, after they became become the people of God, after they became the, the nation of God, they failed in the wilderness. The temptations were too great. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't stand. They couldn't walk with God as they should. They, they ceased to be a light for the world. God set them apart. I'll be your God. you be my people. And I want you to shine your light to the nations. I want my salvation to be known through you to the ends of the earth. They failed in that. And so, is this the true Son? Is this the deliverer? Is this the the, the man of God that he says he is? He signed up for the work and God's affirmed him and saying, yeah, you're my son. Let's go. And so so the beginning of the salvation, he needs to be tested. Will he sin? Will he fall as well? Will he be broken as well by Satan? The answer is absolutely not. He had to be tested to prove that he could not sin. That he would not sin. He came out of that temptation, that trial, something that we talked about a few weeks ago that lasted his entire life, actually, his, at least his entire three-year ministry. But nevertheless, he came out of that trial faithful. We have a salvation because we have a faithful son. We have a salvation because Jesus went all the way to the cross without ever sinning, which means he was, he was made perfect, by these kind of things, he was proven to be the sacrifice we needed at the cross. His whole journey through this life, faithful, 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 a lamb without blemish, a lamb without sin, a perfect lamb that could stand in your place and my place and die for my sins and die for your sins. He became the high priest we needed, according to Hebrews the one that could understand us in our temptations and our trials and our sufferings, the one that knows exactly our trials and our sufferings, and He can minister to us as only that high priest, that perfect high priest could. He made our salvation. He accomplished our salvation. He delivered us. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The start of the good news for all the world. Mark says to worship Him and praise Him. The, the, the tact, the goal of this gospel is to persuade you and I to keep our trust in this one and this one alone. Jesus The Christ, the Son of God, He is the source of your salvation. Do not leave Him behind. Do not put your faith in anything else. Do not depart from trust in the hope of His gospel. So we start this book and we see where it's going. Uh do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you trust in Jesus Christ? Have you rested your faith on Jesus Christ? Praise God. Let's stand in his presence. Would you sing the doxology with me please? Praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here
0: below,
1: praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise. Lord Jesus, we do start this new year with hope, with expectation and faith. But Lord, we start by praising You. We start by glorifying You and honoring You. We know that we have a living hope because of what You've accomplished. And may You give us the grace to be Your people. Give us the grace to serve You and love You and exalt You this year with our lives. For You are so worthy. Lord, send us out now as your servants, as your ambassadors, as the people that you have made for yourself. And may you get all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand where he sits making intercession for his people. And right now, he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.